Good afternoon. It is Wednesday, the 20th of January, 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by Vanessa Beely. Um, we'll just say from a cold location today. Well, Mike, is there any good news? What's happening in America? Oh, well, Joe Biden is going to be sworn in, according to the BBC, as the 46th US president. Will it happen? Uh, certainly won't happen in front of people because they're replacing all the people that usually turn up to these things with flags, apparently. They're putting hundreds of thousands of flags out uh, instead of people. That's all very good. Uh, the security uh, situation, they've built what's being called a green zone, the green zone, uh, obviously named after the green zone in Baghdad. Uh, so they're trying to uh, instill certain feelings amongst people, it seems. Uh, and uh, FBI, well, we'll come on to what the FBI said in a second. But of course, in the run up to this, uh, as David was about, was intending to, to say on Monday, but we ran out of time for this, Biden had been cancelling plans to travel by Amtrak to the inauguration amid security concerns. So this is very much the theme. There are security concerns. Uh, it's dangerous for him to do the normal things. Um, and uh, it's really not stated exactly what these security concerns, or at least they don't seem to uh, apply to anything specific. A Biden team cancels weekend inauguration walkthrough over security concerns. So they didn't do the rehearsal at the weekend. So uh, this is what the FBI uh, was saying. QAnon members have discussed posing as National Security Guard soldiers, uh, National Guard soldiers, sorry, uh, believing that it would be easy for them to infiltrate secure areas. So uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, they also said that they had uh, been watching people's activities on online and they'd seen people downloading and sharing maps of sensitive locations in Washington uh, and that they were discussing online how those facilities could be used to interfere uh, with security during the inauguration. Um, and uh, so there we go. It's all based on nothing. Uh, but you will love this one, Brian, because uh, Biden has appointed his new health assistant health secretary and there he she is uh this is uh, dr rachel levine uh, cool. and uh, this is getting quite a bit of uh interest on twitter at the moment yeah well i think we're going to see a lot more of it with uh, biden in power in the states because my prediction is he's going to drive the intersectionality agenda as fast as possible so you're going to see every um, aspect of society which people would consider normal that will be challenged and overthrown and you're going to see some really quite bizarre things coming into the American administration it'll be followed by an explosion of that here but we'll do that another time um, but if anybody thinks that uh, Trump leaving office means that uh, the vindictiveness against Trump is going to go away think again uh, this is Chatham House the Royal Institute for International Affairs uh, from a couple of days, well, uh, a few days ago now, uh, foreign policy priority for the Biden uh, presidency. And they're saying that uh, unless the United States restores confidence in democracy, uh, it's, they're gonna, there's going to be trouble. Uh, they've got to face down the global challenge of powerful and competent authoritarianism uh, in China. Um, but it's not sufficient for Trump just to go away. Uh, we've got to, they've got to deal with that. It's essential to create a commission to record and ensure accountability for the worst violations of the Donald Trump era. Uh, this should extend far beyond the more narrow focus of impeachment. Um, so uh, clearly new McCarthyism on its way, uh, but it doesn't, what you wonder who would be driving this uh, on the grinders, so to speak. Well, none other than Hillary Clinton, uh, who was tweeting out yesterday, uh, Speaker Pelosi and I agree, Congress needs to establish an investigative body like the 9-11 Commission to determine Trump's ties to Putin so we can repair the damage to our national security and prevent a puppet from occupying the presidency ever again, says the puppet. Um, so uh, alongside this tweet, I suggest people go and look for this tweet, actually, because there was a, a, a clip of her speaking to Nancy Pelosi. Um, and... Uh, Clinton said to Pelosi she would love to see the Trump's see Trump's phone records to see if he was talking with Putin on the day the insurgents invaded the Capitol. Yes, and, it's, and it's, the, the, the Russiagate thing is just never going to go away. It's being driven as hard as it possibly well, can be. She's going to use anything and everything to deflect attention from her and her activities and the emails and everything else. So obviously Trump is uh, 
open season for Hillary Clinton. Um, the lady who possibly with a few changes to the Biden administration could become vice president, supposedly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, indeed. that'll be nice. Yes, won't it? Um, well, look, let's uh, move on to, uh, well, Syria, but COVID actually, uh, because uh, here's The Guardian, uh, Syria's white helmets awarded 1.17 million pounds to make PPE. So let's uh, say welcome to Vanessa Bailey. And Vanessa, um, this is quite incredible. So instead of uh, pulling people out of the rubble, uh, <laughs> they're now making face masks. I'm sorry, really. Obviously, I really shouldn't laugh. But I mean, it's not funny. 1.17 million being given to an Al-Qaeda-linked auxiliary. I know the BBC is trying its hardest to revise history on this fact. Um, while allegedly the NHS is suffering to get hold of PPE, wasn't it, at the beginning of the, of the alleged uh, SARS-CoV-2 crisis. Um, so quite extraordinary. I think from reading the article, it was um, Netherlands, Canadian and UK governments uh, funding an NGO to provide uh, the funding for the White Helmets. So the entire farce continues. Of course, in uh, I think the first case of COVID in Idlib, uh, which is the only area of Syria now uh, that the White Helmets are operating, which is Al-Qaeda haven, of course, according to Brett McGurk, um, was in uh, July 2020. Now we have the ramping up, of course, by UN agencies, um, affiliated organizations and media um, to portray Idlib as a, a, a corona hotbed. Of course, as we come into the coldest months in Syria and many of the displaced are living in very immune suppressant conditions and, of course, will be affected by seasonal flu. But we forget that seasonal flu has disappeared and is entirely replaced by SARS-CoV-2. Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, so what is the uh, infection rate of coronavirus in northern Syria in, the, in Idlib? It's very difficult to say because as far I had a very quick look this morning. I couldn't find any official statistics. I could only find um, fear-mongering reports from the likes of, as I say, Saudi media, um, Middle East Eye, uh, media affiliated to, let's say, the US coalition. Uh, yeah. um, Vanessa, if, if I may, you're sat there in your coat. There's a reason for that. <laughs> Just explain to the audience how you're indoors, <laughs> fully dressed for the outdoors. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, basically, um, since New Year's Eve, so leading up to the inauguration of Biden, we've had a series of attacks um, on, um, on, on fuel tankers and fuel depots, etc. I'll go into that in more detail in a minute. But basically, in this area, which is a suburb of Damascus, so it's not Damascus uh, centre, we're now on a schedule of five hours off and one hour on, and that's the weather today. So that's why I'm wearing a ski jacket inside. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is the weather today. It's, it, looks, it looks rather lovely, actually. Um, yeah, well, that, yeah, that was the electricity um, yes. on that Vanessa's talking about one hour on, five hours off. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so look, Vanessa, let's come on to this situation with, uh, with fuel in Syria. Uh, uh, so if we... You, you sent me a little bit of video, uh, and yeah. here we have it, uh, of the queues. Now, uh, the queues are actually a lot longer than we're able to show here. So what is the situation yeah. at the moment? This was taken last week, actually. Um, and I started filming the queue literally about two-thirds of the way in. And if you can imagine, you'll see in a minute um, as we turn the corner, we arrive at the actual fuel station and there's the same length queue coming from the other side. So um, as I mentioned, since New Year's Eve, there has been an uptick, which was predicted um, leading up to Joe Biden's inauguration. And of course, as the Trump administration departs, the Trump administration, as I've explained a number of times, was, in my view, the economic battering ram um, leading to the Joe Biden war party is how I perceive it. So the madmen are handing over to the lunatics and Trump has done a very good job 
of economically battering uh, Syria through the Caesar law sanctions, but also, as I said, from New Year's Eve, we've had a series of attacks both by Israel, by U.S. directly and by uh, U.S. proxies, starting on New Year's Eve with a number of, well, New Year's Eve forward going, a number of attacks by Israel including targeting um, Deir Azor, where they targeted civilian infrastructure. Um, this, I think, was actually the recent U.S. attack on Iraqi army and PMU, uh, popular mobilization forces, which are the claimed Iranian proxies. Of course, they're not. They're Hashad al-Shabi Iraqi militia that fought against ISIS. Um, and defeated ISIS as it was uh, preparing to invade Baghdad without any help from the United States, of course. Um, so Israel has targeted border areas. It's targeted Syrian army positions on the border with Iraq. Uh, it's targeted civilian infrastructure in uh, Deir ez-Zor, including uh, water supply. We also, of course, have NATO member states, um, Turkey uh, cutting off water supply to over one million inhabitants of Hasakar. This was an attack recently in the last week on um, fuel tankers bringing fuel um, <clears throat> going from Salamia, so in the northwest of the country, towards Raqqa. Uh, this was an attack by ISIS. Um, but I think it's very important to point out to viewers that um, recently there's been an uptick in military <coughs> exercises, excuse me, in the 25-kilometer exclusion zone around um, the U.S. military base at al Tanaf on the Iraqi-Jordan border. That includes the use of HIMARS, uh, high-mobility artillery units, that have a maximum range of 300 kilometers. I meant to actually check the distance to Damascus, but I think that would bring missiles in the range of Damascus from the position of the U.S. Uh, occupation camp. Um, so we can safely say that these ISIS attacks, as they're called, are effectively under the control uh, of the United States, and they're targeting uh, fuel supply. We had recently in the last two days, in fact, yesterday, there were fires at a Homs, um, so again, to the northwest of Damascus, fuel depot, where, as you can see there, the burning of the depot itself, there were no uh, actual injuries to staff, but of course that's why our electricity has just gone down by one hour. We're now on the 5-1 schedule. And even central Damascus is now on four hours uh, off, two hours on, which they've been recently 3-3 three, three, uh, consistently. Um, we've also, we also know that the SDF, another U.S. proxy, of course, in the northeast, has been siphoning wheat and barley and selling it into Iraq. You have Delta Crescent Energy Oil Company, which was established under the Trump administration, that with the help of the SDF is taking the oil out of Syria and selling it through um, various outlets. Of course, in the Northwest, you have a similar thing. You have the establishment of oil companies, um, one of which is called Watad, which is run by Al-Qaeda and is providing revenue for Al-Qaeda. Um, but effectively, uh, the outcome um, is that the Syrian people are suffering. Uh, they are unable to heat their houses. Many of them are unable to get heating and cooking fuel. Um, people can't get fuel for their cars. As I said, electricity, the electricity situation is dire. In, in more remote areas, they'll be lucky to have one hour per day. So the situation is very tough, and I think that's what Trump's um, objective was to, to basically um, to try to bring Syria to its knees leading up to the inauguration of Biden. And of course, even looking at Biden's administration, we should be under no illusions as to where it's heading as regards Syria. And even the recent uh, rhetoric by Pompeo against uh, Iran, in my opinion, this is not really about Iran. Of course, there is enmity with Iran uh, and Israel. But I think any claim to be attacking Iran is focused on Syria. It will be perceived as legitimate to attack Iran uh, inside Syria. I don't think it's a direct war with Iran, because I think that would be insanity, even by U.S. standards. I think it's more about claiming uh, the presence of Iranian um, elements on the ground in Syria and the excuse uh, or that being used as an excuse to um, 
to ramp up military um, action against Syria itself. Uh, I mean, uh, the thing that struck me uh, is, of course, people have been living in Idlib in, in the camps for the, the entire, pretty much the entire Trump presidency. Uh, yeah. They, it's almost like they've been left in place uh, with a view to uh, ramping things up once, once uh, Biden becomes president. Yeah, and uh, I mean, a very, you know, a couple of interesting facts. The only humanitarian aid that is coming into Idlib is via the Bab al-Hawa uh, border crossing. Now, Bab al-Hawa border crossing, it's well known as the Al-Qaeda trading post. And it's it's an area which was visited by Kelly Clark, the, the UN ambassador for the United States under um, Trump, where she described it as an essential humanitarian outpost. But in fact, it's 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 completely controlled by al-Qaeda, and every element of aid that comes into that area is used by al-Qaeda to raise revenue. Um, and the second thing is that within the refugee camps in the northwestern Idlib, there are uh, educational programs ongoing, of course, uh, staffed by NGOs like the Violets that are replacing the White Helmets to some degree in the media and in um, UN reporting, etc. But those education programs are effectively being run by the CIA. They're being run by Kermonics. And so there is also a degree of, let's say, programming and brainwashing of the refugees within those refugee camps. And, you know, it doesn't take any great um, intelligence to speculate on what that might mean in the future if um, military action against or, or uh, yes, military adventurism against Syria is um, ramped up. Yes. OK, well, thank you very much, Vanessa. Let's uh, let's move on then. Um, uh, if you like what the UK column does and you would like to support us, then uh, please uh, head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options to help us out there. And also don't forget to share any uh, material that we put out on the various platforms, Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube, BitChute and dlive.tv. Uh, yeah, also just mention at this uh, point, might have a look at... Um, 21st Century Wire Twitter page. Patrick Henningsen's got some good uh, photograph, and I think there's uh, photographs, there's some video footage of all the uh, security arrangements in the United States at the moment, which uh, is well worth looking at. Well, we're always encouraging people to do things, and uh, we were sent this letter, copy of a letter which has been sent to Simon Roberts, uh, the chief executive of Sainsbury's. I'll just read it through quickly, but uh, I think this will have uh, had an effect on the gentleman when he received it. Dear Mr. Roberts, regarding your personalised mail email, I wish to respond to your remarks. Shopping for the last 10 months has been a truly horrible experience. Now you wish to add to that misery by subjecting your customers to harassment and intimidation by your introduction of security guards. I think you're a disgrace and you'll lose a great deal of customer loyalty and goodwill by your actions. How many bodies have you had to step over when leaving your house? If there was a genuine pandemic, practically every family would be mourning a loved one and our roads would have a regular flow of funeral processions. This simply is not the case. And uh, where do we go here? Um, uh, Even now. I'm sorry, you'll have to take me through it, Michael. I okay, thought. so even now, after all these months of fear-mongering and house imprisonment, it's still virtually impossible to find anyone who knows anyone who's died from COVID. But hey, you're simply obeying orders. Perhaps if you did some research yourself amongst all your employees and networks, uh, you may even come to the same conclusion. Or you could check the Office of National Statistics if you can find the time. If and when this country ever gets back to any semblance of normality, i.e. when this evil government has been cast into history, uh, you may find your customer base considerably reduced. We will not forget those who exploited our misery to the nth degree. Right, thank you for that. And there was a final little paragraph here, teach me to put my glasses on. Incidentally, I used, I used to, before COVID, shop two or three times a week at Sainsbury's with an average spend of £200. Since COVID, I've only shopped there occasionally for specific items. Sainsbury's is now off my list and hopefully many others, other shoppers will follow suit. So I think uh, we can gently uh, just uh, get rid of Sainsbury's there. But obviously, if enough people wrote um, firm, polite but firm letters to Sainsbury's, the quantity of those letters which are going to make the difference. 
but uh, we're going to say well done for not just sitting back and taking it. Uh, now, uh, there have been uh, some protests going on in, uh, in Amsterdam. We were hoping Alex would be on the programme this week, but sadly he couldn't make it. Um, so uh, this was taking place over uh, the weekend. Um, and, uh, well, apparently a couple of thousand people uh, at this particular one uh, against the national lockdown. Uh, it took place two days after the Dutch government uh, collapsed over a child welfare scandal. We'll discuss that in a second. Uh, the protesters uh, gathered uh, in front of the Rijksmuseum and the uh, Van Gogh Museum art galleries. Uh, many of them had banners, uh, including COVID vaccine equals poison. Uh, and uh, most people ignored the social distancing rules and the mainstream media was very, very, very upset about that. Uh, and that was what justified the police moving in. Uh, and uh, there were various photographs going around on social media. This was probably uh, the, one of the most significant uh, because we're seeing the same kind of brutality in the Netherlands as we've seen at some of the protests in the UK. Uh, and this particular gentleman ended up with his skull cracked open. Uh, this is not right. People should not be being targeted but with sticks to the head. Well, they, they shouldn't, uh, of course, Mike, but what we're seeing is this common degradation in policing standards at the same time as we've seen policing from UK integrating with the rest of Europe. I think there's lots of questions to be asked about police training at the moment in UK and in the other European countries because the brutality has clearly been part of a, a training policy. I don't think there's any doubt of that. So we'd like to know who the people are who've introduced this major change in the way that people police. Uh, Vanessa, uh, you sent that article mm -hmm. to me. Uh, what, what else, have you got anything to add on this? No, I mean, just, I, I think it's interesting that in Europe, you know, we're seeing the collapse of a number of governments, including, of course, the Netherlands government that has recently resigned over um, a child benefit scandal. But prior to that, of course, had been caught up in scandals of the um, providing of equipment to terrorist groups and the funding of terrorist group leaders in Syria. So um, interesting that, you know, we're seeing an escalation of violence um, across Europe, but we're also seeing what appears to be a sort of a degree of collapse within um, governments in Europe. We've seen the same, of course, in Italy, I think. Yes. Okay, thank you for that. Now let's uh, move on to um, the Daily Mail and uh, a spectacular article from the weekend. Uh, the headline is hiccups, tinnitus and stammering are bizarre signs of COVID-2, say doctors, as it becomes clear the virus can affect the body from head to toe. Tales of rare but serious psychiatric effects have led the UK to set up a coral nerve. Uh, we'll have a look at that in a second. It has hundreds of examples of UK victims who suffered psychological reactions. Even hiccups uh, could be a sign that the virus has got into the body, according to the, a report. Okay, let's see what uh, the detail of this is then. Uh, so the article starts off by saying a constant cough, high temperature, thumping headache and a sudden loss of smell or taste are all common symptoms of COVID-19. But what is now clear is that the virus can actually affect the body from head to toe. I'm just going to say, Mike, anybody who's had um, flu in the past will know that they can feel unpleasant symptoms of flu all over their body. Yes. Aching in the legs in particular. So, so this is... This is nonsense. Uh, well, it gets better. Uh, many people complain of confusion and an inability to concentrate, while uh, chilblain-like lesions dubbed COVID toe are a frequent manifestation according to medical reports. Uh, and some cases are truly bizarre. Take, for example, a 33-year-old woman from the French city of Strasbourg who was rushed to hospital last year after being found naked in the basement of a building, complaining of hearing voices when there was nobody with her. She had no history of mental illness and her vital signs, such as heart rate and blood pressure, were fine, but her speech was incoherent and she was convinced the hospital was a castle. Uh, with no signs of cough, fever, breathlessness, breathlessness or tummy upset, she ticked none of the boxes for COVID, yet she tested positive. So uh, th this, to me, is just the most egregious propaganda uh, designed to... Uh, in cause people to think that any slight symptom might be it. And uh, it's really pretty disgraceful. But they talk about the setup of, uh, of this organization 
uh, Coronerve Studies Group. This has been set up by the government. The Coronerve Studies Group is a collaborative effort to study the neurological and neuropsychiatric effects of COVID-19. So let's just briefly look at what they say. Well, first of all, uh, look who's uh, uh, attached to this. So we've got the Association of British Neurologists. We've got uh, various psychiatric uh, bodies, uh, University of Liverpool, UCL, uh, Newcastle University, U University of Southampton, and so on. But let's just have a look at uh, the clinical syndromes that they uh, recognize and compare that with what the Mail's article has just said. So first of all, uh, mental health, Mental health problems are more common in younger people, include things such as anxiety, depression, psychosis. They can be difficult to handle uh, thoughts, feelings, interactions with other people. Uh, sometimes these symptoms may come and go. Sometimes they last much longer. Though physical health problems are easier to see, mental health problems can be just as bad. And it goes on to talk about how actually the mental health problems are being caused by the regime that we're living under rather than the COVID itself. So there's no direct association here with COVID-19. Um, and uh, it's, it's a, a side effect of the lockdown more than anything else is what they're describing. So the male has this one a bit wrong. So let's look at stroke. Uh, a stroke happens when blood supply to part of the brain is cut off. Uh, and it goes on to describe that a little bit more. Uh, most Many cases of stroke associated with COVID-19 have been reported. It is not yet clear whether the coronavirus is directly responsible. Many, but not all of the people with severe COVID-19 are older and have chronic diseases such as diabetes and high blood pressure. They are uh, already risk factors for stroke. So again, they're not prepared to say that they've actually discovered any cases of stroke that have been directly caused by COVID-19. So the Mail article gets it wrong again. Um, let's have a look at uh, encephalopathy. Uh, a person with encephalopathy sorry, can appear confused, may be less aware of what's going around them and may find it difficult to follow a conversation. Many cases related to COVID-19 have been reported. It's not yet clear whether the coronavirus is directly responsible. Many, but not all of the people with severe COVID-19 are older and have other diseases which can make them more vulnerable. An important question we're trying to answer is whether the virus can actually enter the nervous system and cause encephalitis which is inflammation of the brain. So again, this coronerve studies group is not prepared to draw any direct uh, um, link between Yeah, we're COVID trying to answer. We're working to yes. try and answer so the question. Lots of research yeah. to be done here. Uh, and then finally, other, other important complications have been seen. Uh, damage to nerves causing weakness and sometimes breathing difficulty. Uh, anosmia, which is loss of smell, has been talked about. But again, there's not... Uh, they're not making a definitive link. Uh, now, of course, there are scientific papers out there. For, here's a couple of them. Uh, what we know so far about COVID, how COVID affects the nervous system, uh, that's on Scientific American. Uh, and another paper here, how SARS-CoV-2 reaches the brain, and the, their uh, Science Daily uh, paper here, published on Science Daily, uh, describing the you know one possible path for the virus to get into the brain through the nose. Uh, but again, nobody is actually drawing any specific links directly between COVID-19 and any particular illness or any particular particular symptom. Um, but let's come back to the Daily Mail article then, uh, because it said even hiccups could be a sign that the virus has got into your body, according to a report last year in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine by doctors from Cook County Hospital in Chicago. And it's talking about a guy who had been hiccuping for four days in a row. Uh, he also tested positive, and the implication is that, uh, that this was a direct link. There's no evidence of a direct link whatsoever. So I'm sorry, Daily Mail, once again, we are calling you fake news, uh, because while there are one or two words in this article which could be somehow linked to the truth, the fact is that the general theme of the article is complete nonsense. It's completely designed to ramp up people's fear. Um, and uh, I have to say, absolutely disgraceful article, Vanessa. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I, I was verging between crying with laughter and, and horror, actually, when I first sent it to you yesterday. I mean, it floored me. And, and this is written by, uh, what's the journalist's name? Pat Hagen, yes. who apparently is the medical correspondent for the Daily Mail. <laughs> Um, I mean, someone should send this actually to Peter Hitchens because it's appalling. 
And I, I think, I mean, the one thing that comes out of it that makes me slightly concerned is this linking to um, psychological issues or to mental health issues. Um, because there is potential, one assumes, is if they're going to start doing this, is there's potential that, for example, people can be sectioned if they're considered to be suffering mental health issues because of COVID. Um, now, obviously, that's maybe stretching it a little bit for well, well, no, we it's know not, how it's not, far things have come from last year. Yeah, sorry, it's not stretching it because we've got to remember that the Coronavirus yeah. Act allows people to be sectioned now with on the yeah. word of a single doctor exactly. rather than two. So I think that's a very important uh, exactly. point you're making. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if I'm allowed to mention the Forbes article that we talked about before I came on, <laughs> well, we, well, the, which of course describe. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. We described the gentleman having a four-hour erection as being down to COVID also. So I think with with COVID toe hiccups, hair loss, which you missed actually out of the, um, or was that part of one of the symptoms that you described, um, and various other hearing voices in basements while taking your clothes off is all down to COVID-19. I think it's it's a sign of the virus of insanity that's sweeping across the nation and through our media. Please let's remember that in Yemen, that is being bombed daily, 24 hours, and they're suffering all sorts of humanitarian disasters, of course, enforced upon them, declared herd immunity in October 2020. Come on, West, please, please get your act together and stop with this hysteria. I mean, really, I don't know where they're going to take us next. Yeah, well, I think the answer to, to, to that, Vanessa, is they want to take us into full breakdown. So... This uh, pressure is going to continue. We're laughing at this subject and we should laugh at it. But the reality is that this, this is propaganda being carried out mm. by the mainstream papers. It's a psychological attack designed to do damage on people's minds. So we are going to continue to laugh at the naughty bits, but we'll, we'll uh, continue to say people have got to be very careful with what they read and listen to at the moment. Um, okay, so uh, here's The Guardian, and uh, the headline is Minister set to halt plans for daily COVID tests in English schools. Now, of course, many people will say that this is a, as a result of incompetence. Uh, and let's look at the incompetence. The article says ministers are set to halt plans for daily coronavirus tests in England's secondary schools after teachers expressed alarm that the flagship policy had not been approved by regulators. The Department for Education will announce it's pausing the daily testing of pupils um, only five weeks after it began. Um, the about turn came after The Guardian revealed last week that the UK medicines regulator had not authorised the daily use of rapid turnaround tests as an alternative to self-isolation. This, of course, was a major part of Operation Moonshot, uh, but they uh, uh, are concerned that, uh, that the new variant is so virulent that this may not be an option for social distancing and, and so on. So uh, incompetence is is perhaps the, the conclusion that many people will come to. Um, but is it incompetence? Because what's absolutely clear is that, that uh, particularly with schools, the schools have been told you're doing this one day, you're doing that the next day, then you're going back to this the day afterwards, and then maybe back to that the day after that. And they're, they're really being left, Brian, in a position where from a management point of view, the, the, the school uh, principals and the school management teams just aren't able to cope with can't function. they can't function with yeah. this to and fro between uh, what is apparently incompetence now um, I don't believe it's incompetence uh, I've got to say I think it's uh, it's this is creating uncertainty chaos. deliberate yes. deliberately chaos deliberately in order to confuse people and lead them into what a psychologist tells us is learned helplessness that's the aim that nobody in the country is going to be able to think properly to reason properly and to look after themselves due to the chaos well of course the bbc is fully in the mix and this is some of the most disgusting reporting i think i've ever seen from the bbc so the headline was monklands icu staff are physically and emotionally drained and this is university hospital monklands uh, up in scotland um, so James Cook is the uh, reporter on this. He also tweeted out this one. The lockdown is harming mental health, undermining education and crushing the economy. 
So why, I asked the head of intensive care of Monklands and NH NHS Lanarkshire, must it continue? We have to preserve some ability to have functioning hospitals, he says. So um, what we are really going to get into is the use of emotional blackmail. This is applied psychology by the BBC. And I think this is just unbelievably cynical and cruel to use somebody in a hospital to try and pump out this propaganda to the uh, public. So this is James Cook here with the, the video which we're about to see. Um, you wouldn't want to give this to anybody. Jim McShane is being tested at University Hospital Monklands with COVID-19. He says he doesn't understand people who think coronavirus isn't real. Jim has since been moved to an ICU and is now on a ventilator. Well, that's a very serious move. So we're going to say straight away that we hope that all is well with Jim McShane at the moment. But focusing on the reporter who's put this out, I think um, people really need to be thinking about what the BBC is and what it's really trying to do. Let's have a look at the video footage. You don't want to be doing this to anybody, you know. A kid. Your mother. Just nobody. Even if I haven't kissed anybody. I've been really worried. I mean, you could, I could break down and they bother crying. Have you heard any of these people who are saying COVID's not real, COVID's not a threat? I've heard people saying that. So, how is, how is everybody dying? And I mean, how, how, I don't know how stupid some people can be. I mean, how, how do they think that? that this is all happening. I mean, there must be millions dead by now all, all over the world. I just can't understand some people. And then there's some of them saying they wouldn't take the jag. Well, they should just go to the back of the queue. That's what I think. I would gladly take the jag right now. So, Mike, I'm, I'm going to say this is emotional blackmail because, of course, you've got that very vulnerable patient. Uh, his view of the world is, of course, his own suffering. We fully understand that. But in comes the prompt. What do you think of the people who are raising questions about COVID? Well, what answer do they expect from a man who's there in hospital suffering from it? And of course, his knowledge of what's happening around him is going to be extremely limited. So the BBC picking on a highly vulnerable patient, prompting them to get the answers that the BBC want. And how can I be sure in saying that? Because, of course, the end of the video ends with another prompt that people should be getting vaccinated. So this is the BBC now stooping to the level of using people ill in ICUs in hospital in order to get their government-based propaganda out. I just think this one utterly, utterly appalling and it shows the desperation of the BBC now that many people aren't following up. Let's have a look at some of the responses to this on social media. So uh, I've just um, got some labelling. The first one said, good luck, Jim. Everyone should see this and take note. Um, everyone should take note. So basically people picking up that, well, the BBC's pushed this out, so they should just do as they are told. Uh, this lady here says, uh, sorry, please let's all do what we're told. This is heartbreaking. Thank you, BBC. It's not easy viewing or filming, but people need to see this. Um, how is there ever going to be an end to this nightmare? So again, 
the message from her is that everybody should do as they're told. I'm living a nightmare is the other key one. So the BBC is frightening somebody. They're giving them a world depression that's equivalent to a nightmare. We've got Amanda, the next one down. Well, I think this one is a fairly normal response and a very nice response. She says, poor Jim, wishing you a full and speedy recovery. So we've got some natural sympathy. And then the last one, don't know what to make of of this one because we've got an image with a, a vaccine needle and it says those that refuse to take the COVID vaccine should not be. Now, what is the message coming across here that vaccines should not be compulsory and people should be free to take them? Or is this actually suggesting that those who refuse should get sick and die? I think you, uh, it's not clear what the message is coming across in that one. And I'll follow the BBC report up with this, which many people have been commenting on, uh, that our very own Matt Hancock was seen out at the weekend uh, in a park, freely mixing with other people, not a face mask in sight, certainly not on him. But now all of a sudden he's had to go into self-isolation. And this is what he said. I was pinged by the NHS coronavirus app. That means I will be self-isolating at home. That means not leaving the house at all until Sunday. And this self-isolation is perhaps the most important thing of all the social distancing cause. I know that from the app that I've been in close contact with somebody who has tested positive. And then the crunch line, and this is how we break the chains of transmission. Um, so the message from Matt Hancock is stop thinking and do as we tell you. Um, he's free to go out and about, although the Prime Minister was telling everybody to stay at home. Uh, but now suddenly, because of that wonderful app, he's got to self-isolate and we should do the same effectively. Yes. Now, news uh, on vaccines and news from California. First of all, uh, we've got uh, CNN here update. Uh, California pauses giving out shots from one lot of coronavirus vaccine. And from the headline, you might think, well, one lot, that's probably not very many, is it? Uh, well, in fact, it is. It's about 1.2 million doses uh, is uh, what's been paused at the moment. Unfortunately, many of those have been given out already. But this is basically because this is uh, Moderna's uh, vaccine. Um, and there, there's an investigation going on now on a number of uh, possible severe allergic reactions, which took place over the last few days in a number of people who got uh, vaccines in a particular uh, community vaccination clinic. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Erica Pan, who's the California state epidemiologist saying, uh, out of an extreme abundance of caution, we're recommending the providers use other available vaccine inventory. Um, okay, so uh, what did Moderna have to say? Uh, they said, uh, well, Moderna's, uh, well, this, is, this was uh, a quote from the uh, statement that they put out uh, saying, while Moderna said it does not know how many people or how many doses may have ended up in arms of people. It did report that the lot was shipped between January the 4th and January the 8th, and thus it expects a significant proportion, uh, proportion of the distributed doses to have been already used. Um, so uh, uh, it said 307,000 doses were in storage and not yet distributed. Uh, and they said, while Moderna said it does not know how many doses have ended up in the arms of people. I've just read that, so apologies. Uh, so 1.272 million doses have gone out. Uh, not sure how many have actually been used, but 307,000 uh, still sitting unused for sure. Um, and uh, well, we wait to see what the actual adverse reaction numbers are at the end of the day, if they are ever admitted to. The incidents, as the government prefers to call them. Yes. Just an incident. Now, uh, earlier on, Vanessa mentioned uh, flu vaccinations. Um, and uh, thank you to the viewer who sent me this. This is from Warwick House Health Practice. Uh, flu vaccinations 2020. Flu vaccine for 50 to 64 year olds is now available. Our first walk-in clinic will be held on the 12th of December. Uh, and this is, uh, they say that they've been allocated flu block quadrivalent vaccine which does not have a UK marketing authoriz authorization, but has been authorized for temporary supply uh, by the UK Department of Health and Social Care and the MHRA for immunization against influenza. Um, so this is another vaccine which has had a temporary authorization from the MHRA 
having not had a proper authorization. Mm, interesting. This is what the MHRA had to say uh, about this. Flu block is a flu influenza vaccine for adults who are 18 years of age and older. It will be used as part of the UK's 2020-2021 seasonal flu program from December. Uh, flu block has been given authorization for temporary supply by the UK Department of Health and Social Care and the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulator Agency for immunization against flu in this year's seasonal flu program to meet public health need. Uh, now, why has it been given this? Uh, is there a shortage of other types of flu vaccine? That's not clear. Uh, the basis on which it's been given this temporary uh, uh, supply authorization, sorry, is that uh, the FDA has given it authorization in the United States and has been used for the last couple of years there. Well, okay, but what kind of vaccine is it? Uh, well, it is a, a recombinant DNA vaccine uh, and uh, the Sanofi Pasteur, who's the manufacturer of it, uh, believes that it's much better than uh, uh, inactivated influenza vaccines. It produces much better outcomes for people. Um, but uh, what is recombinant DNA? Well, first of all, that is uh, DNA molecules formed by laboratory methods of ge genetic recombination. Uh, such as molecular cloning, which bring together genetic material from multiple sources, creating sequences would not otherwise be found in the genome. Now, I uh, believe that in this case, there is, the, the, although the techniques used to produce recombinant DNA are used to produce the material for this vaccine, that this is mainly using those techniques to pull together uh, various proteins and so on, so they're not actually producing recombinant DNA as such. But nonetheless, it is uh, another DNA, you know, genetically modif modified uh, product coming into the country alongside the Pfizer uh, vaccine for uh, yeah, SARS-CoV-2. Th th so this is interfering with with biology. It's not it's not just a medical um, a medical product. This is doing doing things is the key bit. Uh, several people in the chat box are picking up on this. And saying this is this is where we're not being told the detail of these vaccines and what they're actually doing inside the body. Well, it's the detail and the testing, and the question is whether whether these things are are being appropriately uh, rolled out, uh, and when they're being given temporary author authorizations in this, uh, as in this case, um, in order to rush things through, then we've got to ask why. Nobody's giving any serious answers for yeah. why, and you know I'm not going to uh, throw out a technology as such. If it, if it can be demonstrated to work, uh, but there's testing required in order, in order to demonstrate that things work properly. And it seems that the testing is mostly being done uh, in the live in the situation field. in the, the field. field. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, but uh, look, the MHRA then went on to say that flu can spread very fast and can, ha can have serious consequences. Having a flu vaccine can protect you and helps reduce transmission to others, right? Can it spread very fast? Well, I think it's only a couple of days since we made the point that it doesn't spread very fast, certainly not this year. And Vanessa's already mentioned this earlier in the program uh, because flu has disappeared, it seems. Uh, we showed this graphic earlier, almost no flu in the UK. Uh, and in fact, almost in fact, no flu in the rest of the world since week 14 of 2020, uh, week 16, sorry, of 2020. So um, not sure why they suddenly needed to uh, get emergency supplies of uh, flu vaccine for this flu season. A lot of questions to be asked and few answers coming out of the government, but we'll continue to press. Well, um, many people are deeply upset at the moment that churches are not able to hold their uh, services. Um, great restrictions, many churches not operating at all. Um, but we were fascinated to learn that one of the immediate priorities of the Church of England is their environmental programme. So let's just have a look at this very interesting document. Uh, Two-page document. Um, what's it got to say? Well, it says that there's um, 5,550 big church switch campaign resulting in more than 5,500 churches transferring to green energy. Uh, they've appointed 37 diocesan environment officers, 850-plus uh, eco-churches, 18-plus um, eco-dioceses. Um, they're talking about a season for creation. They're talking about letters for creation, and they're talking about green health awards. Now, that might all appear 
all rather soft and perhaps a little bit squidgy. I was thinking it appears very great reset like. Very great reset like. But let's have a look at page two because this one got a lot more interesting. So what have we got? We've got uh, uh, 34,704 34, people engaged in a tweet about a plasticless Lent campaign. Uh, we've got a Bishop's Environment Group and that's growing strongly. Um, then we've got a magic figure mentioned, which we'll highlight. Uh, it is 10.1 trillion and pounds, pounds, 10.1 trillion pounds. Where's that coming from? Well, this is very interesting. Let's blow this up on the screen so that we can actually see it. I looked at the figure and thought I was imagining something, but it says here that it's 10.1 trillion as a transition pathway initiative supported globally by investors with over 10.1 trillion combined assets under management and growing. So this uh, looked a pretty healthy situation for the Church of England and friends. Well, we thought we'd take the opportunity of showing our viewers and listeners a little bit more detail about what's going on here. So let's pop across to the Transition Pathway Initiative. Uh, here it is. Uh, what's it got to say about itself? Well, the Transition Pathway Initiative is a global asset owner-led initiative which accesses at sorry, assesses companies' preparedness for the transition to a low-carbon economy, rapidly becoming the go-to corporate climate action benchmark. The TPI tool is available here. Uh, you got all that, Mike. Yes. Indeed. So um, let's put this together. We've got the Church of England with an environment programme. Uh, we've got the Transition Pathway Initiative, and that is working with these uh, particular uh, organisations, the uh, FTSE Russell, so Economic Advice, Grantham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment. Uh, we've got Principles for Responsible Investment and we've got the London School of Economics. Now, remember that the Church of England in its leaflet says there's 10.1 trillion pounds available in this partnership. But Transition Pathway Initiative actually says that the figure is $23.5 trillion, uh, which has come from 92 investors. So we've got some interesting sums of money being talked about with the Church of England here. So we'll put uh, Mr. Welby on top. He's on top of the pyramid. And let's have a look at some of the things that these organisations have said. So the TPI was established in 2017 as a joint initiative between the Church of England National Investing Bodies, the Church of England Pensions Board, the Church Commissioners and CBF Funds and, quote, the Environment Agency Pension Fund. So this is really very interesting that the Church of England is dealing with multi-trillion pounds of money uh, all in our best interests, of course. The TPI is governed by the TPI Steering Group and consists of representatives from asset owners who are significant sponsors of the initiative. Additional funding is provided by selected research funding partners who are not part of the steering group. Let's go on. A dedicated project research team is led by Professor Simon Dietz uh, to oversee the development of the assessment methodology um, throughout feedback is sought from experts and industry peers. And TPI's ongoing assessment work is guided by a technical advisory group comprising ex expertise from academia, asset management, and other relevant fields. The group undertakes regular reviews of the mythology and provides technical advice regarding TPI's evolution. So all came together in 2017 now handling 23 trillion US dollars, as you do, Mike, as you do. Uh, so here's the Transition Pathway Initiative. Um, what's it got to say about its supporters? Well, the only way, <coughs> excuse me, I could grab this was to do a little video. So hopefully this will scroll through. But you've got everybody from uh, Aviva. These are all major hedge funds and insurance and life assurance companies, legal and generals in there. But this is UBS. This is across the global sphere of investment agencies and uh, hedge funds and insurance agencies now linked in with the Church of England. So if we hop back to the Church of England, um, we just had a quick look at 
uh, one of their online uh, newsletters uh, where they're talking about net zero carbon declaration by the general synod that's apparently going to be reached by 2030 and they're talking about support and guidance on getting to net zero in carbon and they're coming out with climate sunday which i thought was a lovely idea part of creation tide and that's leading worship on climate action is creation tide something like yuletide or something i think it's a bit new speak it's it's a little bit pagan and i think it's appropriate for the church of england people think i'm hard saying that but let's get on to the man himself archbishop of canterbury mr welby he said this reducing the causes of climate change is essential to the life of faith oh. if you don't get involved in climate change you can't have a proper faith apparently it's a way to love our neighbor and to steward the gift of creation um, which god is he expressing the desire to have faith in well mike i i don't think it's the proper god i think we're into uh, <laughs> mother goddess of earth here but uh, we'll perhaps save that for another time but let's have a look at this what i'm describing as obscene hypocrisy by this man so on the left we've got the pyramid this is money for climate change um uh, archbishop welby is is the man who's helped to to put this pot together of 23.5 trillion us dollars uh, but if we look at what he wants to do with poverty all of a sudden it's the responsibility of local churches uh, these are the churches that can't at the moment heat churches or put a roof over their heads because most, most of the infrastructure is falling apart but he says that no 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 local churches are going to look after poverty and debt um, he's going to help out by paying a living wage so that's very kind of him and uh, here's the local churches at work then we've got some charities so this is end hunger and the church urban fund so local churches people putting money in little pots are going to be the people that help uh, those who are poor and in debt so if we look at the money he's putting forward for poverty relief it's peanuts yes. it's peanuts i i have gone over this material there's a lot more to do but i now think we're really seeing that the church of england has been hijacked by the international banking cartel um, this is another organization which i came across as i worked through this the just finance foundation creating a, na a national movement for financial inclusion uh, who created this well just happens to be the archbishop of canterbury uh, so we're, he's saying we're currently helping people navigate the financial issues caused by the crisis including creating a coronavirus help hub uh, and a course to help people in the community signpost effectively uh, if we understand that so he says we're going to help people understand the financial system but he isn't actually going to tell any that his banker friends are just creating the money out of nothing mike um if, if Vanessa's no, still she's not, she's she's not. that's a shame actually because at the moment Vanessa's surrounded by a lot of people in very bad financial economic situation so what is what is he up to I think this is particularly unpleasant stuff let's remind ourselves of uh, what Welby likes getting up to and here he is with your friend uh, Mr Carnage Mike uh, who was the man who I believe said that if if banks uh, sorry if uh, businesses don't adopt to the green agenda they're going to go out of business we're going to put businesses um, out of business we're going to make people redundant if you don't engage with our climate change strategy and here is Welby clearly very happy with his new friend who's promoting his book uh, we've got the ecumenical news pay your taxes Archbishop of Canterbury <laughs> urges businesses so and here he is with the wonderful Christine Lagarde and uh, Mark Carnage as well so the man who is uh, there at the top of the Church of England and I think if Alex Thompson was with us he would be saying that what's going on here is the sin of simony so you're selling uh, issues of um, proper faith uh, is being sold for money and profit yes what can I say we're going to do some more work about this but if there's any, on this but if there's anybody out there who's interested in tackling the Church of England 
about what is going on here. We'd be grateful for all the help you can give us. Um, and of course, we can't single out the Church of England as such because the Roman Catholic Church absolutely 100% behind the, uh, the New Green Deal as well. Uh, of course, yeah. yes. Uh, well, look, we're just going to end with uh, with a, a photograph sent through to, to us by one of our viewers. Thank you very much for this. Uh, apparently, their local pub called the George has had a new sign uh, put up. Here it is. Um, so uh, George is, in fact, George Orwell there with uh, his his uh, mouth covered with a big gag saying 1984 on it. Um, I think that's highly appropriate, Brian. Yeah, it is a sign of the times. I'd prefer to call 2021 2084. I think that works quite well. But clearly people are seeing now that we're entering this madness of the sort of world that George Orwell was forecasting. And it's not a game. This is serious. How do we overturn it? We've got to reclaim language. We've got to use words properly. And uh, we've got to take on the government, which is clearly lying to the nation here in UK principally via the mainstream media, of which the BBC now wins the uh, gold medal for sheer propaganda, uh, hypocrisy, uh, and the use of emotional blackmail. Uh, I'm just going to say, uh, we've, we haven't had a chat box in the studio for a couple of days, a couple of episodes of the news programme. It's back up and running today, and I see lots of new names. So welcome to everybody, and thank you very much for, for helping us out and spread the word is uh, what we'd like to ask. So thank you everybody for joining us. Thank you very much to all the overseas viewers. We know you're growing. We know we're putting out a very UK centric news in some respects at least, but uh, also much of what is happening here is happening in other countries. So if you see similarities, send us in the information, point us at reports in your own country and or send us uh, uh, newspaper clips or video footage because we'd love to have it and help um, help put it put it out mm. croaking a bit today I'm sorry about that but luckily no disease involved thanks for joining us uh, we will be back on Friday bye 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 bye